Hi, welcome to Creeps and Crime Storytime. I'm Charlie. I'm Sophie. And today Sophie's going to be following on the second part of the story of Sylvia Plath. Yes. Last week, if you remember, we did have some technical issues mm-hmm. and the we we lost quite a bit we of lost audio it. from the end. It's a goodbye. Um so we do have a little recap of the things that got lost, but before mm-hmm. we do, I do want to read out a listener message. So one of our listeners is a professional in the mental health field, and she told us some really interesting stuff about electroconvulsive therapy. She's incredible. Which we didn't know, so I'm just gonna mm-hmm. read out her message. <clears throat> hey ladies, enjoying the Sylvia Plath episode. Haven't finished it yet as it's my driving companion and I've arrived at work. I know how shocked you both were to hear that she had electroconvulsive therapy in the 50s. I don't know if you know this, but it's actually still used today as a treatment for depression. My dad had at least three bouts of it in his lifetime, and while seemingly barbaric and horrific to think about, it's effective enough as a short-term treatment to still be administered. Obviously, it would never be used before medication and talking therapies have been exhausted, so it tends to be more of a last resort in severe chronic cases. We still don't really know why it works, but it can actually really help people. Like you said, depression is a chemical imbalance, so it's thought that the stimulation kind of jolts the brain into functioning correctly. Kind of like if you had a box of jigsaw pieces and you gave it a good shake, there's a small chance that some of the pieces might fit together themselves. We often think of it as being as severe as how it's portrayed in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, etc. And while it was administered incredibly unethically back then, these days it's always only given after a lengthy consultation, informed consent, and you're under general anaesthetic for the procedure. That being said, Sylvia did indeed live in the 1950s, and while I hope she gave her full consent to the treatment, she probably wasn't under any anaesthetic, which would have been fucking horrible. Sorry for the lengthy message, but this has been my essay on ECT. We love it. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, I actually had no idea that electroconvulsive therapy was still used today. No, that shocked me. I didn't know that that was, yeah, I didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah, I was surprised. Um, So after after this, I did a little reading into it. And Mm. um, yeah, so it can be incredibly effective. um, But when Sylvia was around in the 50s, it obviously was not like the standards were not the same as it is today mm-hmm. so while the majority of patients that received it it seemed as though they did so with their consent they wouldn't necessarily have had any anesthetic at all and mm-hmm. um oh where did i put that i wrote it down yeah oh and um, there's also evidence to suggest it was used as a threat on difficult patients on mental health wards oh. so if patients were being what they call difficult they mm. would just be administered this treatment wow, okay. um, it was also used to treat gay people to stop them from being gay that which really is just <laughs> the most preposterous disgusting. disgusting thing i've ever heard yeah. but like we said we've come a long way from the 40s and 50s mm-hmm. and it actually does make me feel a bit better to know that yeah. all of that stuff really did go towards coming to something that works because it yeah. seems as though it actually does work mm-hmm. when it's done right mm-hmm. so Thank you for sharing that with us. And yeah, I'll let Sophie go over the recap with you and we'll go over from the end of last week. Yeah. I'm ready. Let's hop right in. So someone else that was sat in the seminar was a lady named Anne Sexton. And I guess the three of them began talking after the class was finished because these two had come over to Sylvia. And they said that they said to her that she should be writing about these things she's experienced over time. Oh, okay. So she's got some, like, new class friends. Yeah, And they want much. her to just basically 
Right, from her own experience. Go all out, yeah. Okay. And one of these friends is the teacher, which is really cool. Okay, so she found from talking to Lowell, but more so Anne, she felt encouraged to write from a more female perspective. Ooh, I love it. Okay. It's good, isn't it? Because a lot of a lot of writers back then that were women mm-hmm. gave themselves male um pseudonyms. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so she just decided, fuck this, I'm writing yeah. from my own perspective. She's like, I'm writing and wearing a dress. I love it. Try and stop me. I fucking love it. Suck my... <laughs> <laughs> it was here that Plath really started to consider herself a serious and hardcore full-time poet. Fuck, which is cool. Yes, and, and story writer in fairness, but mainly poems. It's here that Sylvia and Ted made a lifelong... Remember, she's got a husband. Oh, that fucking guy that I Ted like. Hughes, yeah. We, yeah, we okay. don't like Ted. Yeah. I forgot about him. Yeah, sorry to remind you of him. Oh, I fucking forgot about him. Well and truly, I apologize. So they're still going strong. Yeah. Shit, okay. Yeah, they they made a friend of their own, a poet named W.S. Moen, that stands for William Stanley, and he got to know those two through admiring their work, and then they took a liking to him. Okay. So he's like, I'm your fan. So they're like poet buddies. Yeah, and then they're like, we love you too, and then you became best friends. The see, end. That could be nice. It, it could be nice. Um, yeah, he passed away in two thousand and three, at oh, age so ninety-one. Not here. No. He lived to be very old, which cool. is cool. So he'll have seen Jurassic Park in nineteen ninety-four. <laughs> so what year did he die? Two thousand and three. So oh, cool. He saw Jurassic Park. Yeah, he? he's from like this time. And, and so that time, it's cool. That is actually kind of weird to think about, is that he was doing all this shit in the 50s. Yeah. And then he was seeing the movies in full picture. We assume. Yeah. Maybe he wasn't a movie kind of guy. But you know what? Let's so. just assume that he watched <laughs> yeah. Jurassic Park. <laughs> and he liked it. Oh, he loved it. <laughs> it inspired him. <laughs> didn't like Jurassic Park as a loser. But his um his main uh, focus on writing was Buddhist philosophy. Oh, and he niche. also was really into the restoration of the, the islands and the forest he lived on. Somewhere oh. in Hawaii. Cool. Which is really fun and good and pure, I think. It's quite pure. Very sweet. So Sylvia and Ted, they they move again, they move house again to Canada. And then to the United oh, States. Are they going to stop moving? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I do know. Um, they stop eventually. And oh. we're going to come up to why in oh, a short moment. No. <laughs> I wish I hadn't said anything. I feel like I manifested that. <laughs> you kind of did. Okay, so they, uh, they, now, I don't get what this is. They stay at the Yaddo Artist Colony in Saratoga Springs in New York at the tail end of 1959. I don't know what an artist colony is. Is that like it, a school? It kind of sounds like, like... A retreat? What's on the tin? Colony. Like yeah. a cult. Well, I was thinking something maybe a little bit culty, maybe something a bit like hippie, bohemian. Oh, maybe. Kind of type Yeah, thing. that makes more sense. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's better. Maybe I <laughs> they joined a cult. I mean, maybe they did. I hope not. We'll never know. All right, now I've set the scene of everything from what I said just now in the past episode. Okay, so we all caught up now. Yeah, I've given you a lovely chunk of backstory. Okay. Oh, that's just backstory for what is going to go down now. I'm ready. Give me the story. <laughs> we want the story. Here in New York, 
Sylvia's quote is saying, this is something I fucking love. Okay. I love it. Quote, I learned to be true to my own weirdnesses. End quote. That's a really, really good quote. Which is dope as fuck. Because no matter what type of person you are or what kind of life you lead, everyone has a little bit of weird about themselves. That is true. Completely. Embrace it, Charlie. Despite this line of seemingly self-acceptance, she was also still simultaneously very anxious about writing about her experiences. They've been deeply personal and put her in a vulnerable place, sharing such private areas of her life. Because do you remember her father passed away? Yeah. She slashed her legs open. Yeah. Over that guy. So she's going to be drawing inspiration from all of that, but obviously it's terrifying. Yeah. And to, to bring to it back. To expose that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a lot and it's admirable that she went through with it. Yeah, so she actually did it then, she actually... Yeah, she wrote all about it. If you've ever read her work, which you probably have, then you'll know what I mean. Guess what happens? Uh, she gets published? Yeah, but after that, maybe like a few seconds later. Uh, she... a few seconds later? Maybe a few minutes, an hour. She... As a party to celebrate? <laughs> yeah, sure. And then? And then she wins an award for being an amazing poet. Most likely. And then? But you said a few seconds. Not all that <laughs> stuff could happen a few seconds after you publish something. You never know. But honestly, what what happens next? Guess. You you literally have asked me to guess and I have guessed twice. Right, you've got one more guess then. And you've got to be serious. I, the whole I was being serious. Maybe they have a party. No, you said literally, what did you do with the immediate aftermath of being published? If I got work published, I did not I say the immediate aftermath. <laughs> no, you didn't say immediate aftermath. You said a few seconds or a few minutes, oh which is God. as immediate as you can get. Right, you got one more guess. <laughs> you are so difficult. Um, but you've given me no time scale because you literally said seconds, minutes, and now it's not even immediate. Okay, a day. That's still an immediate aftermath. You got one guess. I I don't know. They move. Oh my fucking yeah, god! They move. they move again! Why are they moving? How many times can you move house? I've lost count. I I truly, you know, I Is gave up counting nine? a while ago. Maybe. Maybe. Oh my god. It's insane. Yeah, you know what? Despite mm. the fact that they've moved a billion times already, I would not have guessed that. <laughs> I know, just I was like, and no, then but, I mean, I don't think anything I would else. Have, like, no part of my brain would think that that's a logical next step. Yeah, they'd move again, sure. Yeah, yeah no, like, it, it doesn't. No. They, well, they moved. Do you want to know where they moved to? Canada again? Because they've moved there like no, four times. No, no, it's not Canada. <laughs> England? It's England. Again? Yeah. <sighs> And they find themselves in the residence of 3 Shacklot Square, Primrose Hill, area of Regent's Park in London. Ah. Mm. So another really? fancy sounding place. That sounds very fancy. Good for these two. Yeah, so the published deal must have gone well if yeah. they could afford to live in London. It sure did. I'm assuming it's not like the shit end of London. Mm. Well, we could hope not. I hope it's nice. Fingers nuts. crossed. I hope it was nice. Fingers crossed. So these two moving bugs that just can't stay still, finally, hopefully stay still, hopefully they'll settle now as they have their first child. Well, she was named Frida, who was born on April 1st. I really thought you were going to say her name was Frida. Fuck! Was like, so America! America. <laughs> 
So they had a daughter named Frida, who was born on April 1st, 1960. And in the following October, Sylvia would publish her first collection of poetry named The Colossus. Now, the... the, the <laughs> you know, I've had to edit out a lot of your giggling. It helps I dick around a bit. It helps me. I need you to dick around a bit, but like <clears throat> less than when you're in the chaos seat. That's what this is now called. Every seat I sit in becomes a chaos seat. This is what's difficult. <laughs> and every seat that I sit in becomes the Hermione seat. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to tell this better than you. <laughs> and I don't know anything. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to keep that in just so then people know how much you take the piss out of me <laughs> on the daily. Oh my god. They'll have laughed too. <laughs> I I, you know what? I bet Carousel was fucking Good old grass. loved it. No one else would be looking very serious at the speaker's like, she's rude. <laughs> you are rude. Now tell me the story of Sylvia Plath, please. No. <laughs> now the novel you were asking about. Now this novel is very, very, very autobiographical, as the book does indeed describe beautifully and an in-depth view of the mental breakdown of a young college student. Oh, so she's not writing it as like a memoir. Mm. It's more like a fictional story. Yeah. But it's not fictional. Yeah, and I it's see. like re based on herself. Yeah. But also not. But yeah, just sort of like, hey, this is a coincidence and nothing to do with me. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the student recovers and it comes to fruition and the recovery and everything. It holds really strong parallels with uh, Sylvia's own breakdown and hospitalization, as we discussed earlier. Uh and in the time from 1960 to 1963, the writing evolved, it blossomed. Again, she's writing with a more feminine uh, style. I guess it's more natural for her. Yeah. So if she's not having to write as though she's someone else, mm-hmm. it's probably just coming to her easily. Yeah. So yeah, it will be better. Like, she will be able to write with her own style. Yeah. And it, it, it sounds really fun. Okay, so her writing evolved, it blossomed amazingly because she had abandoned and deserted the conventions that had been vastly limiting her previous earlier books. So it's exactly as you said, you know, once she's being able to write more as herself, it's it's going to improve. And practice guarantees improvement. You don't need to yeah, aim to perfection. Yeah. I yeah, try so and remind myself like of this kept, a lot. As, yeah, as long as she kept trying, it would have been getting better and better mm-hmm. until she's now at this point. Exactly. So earlier on uh, in her writing years and her life, the, she felt they were tarnished with anxiety and self-doubt and confusion. That she said it haunted her, and she used that word haunted like a lot. Wow. And it was really looming over her deeply, and understandably so, because it was heavy stuff. Yeah, she's had a lot in her life going on that would haunt you. Yeah, it would it would creep up everywhere. You just catch you out so these were transmuted i thought i'd go like extra fancy for you <laughs> appreciate it <laughs> into verses of articulate prose aligned with wit and delight oh hey i've been inspired <laughs> <laughs> the year of 1963 uh-huh. another tragedy would strike this household no Not yes the kid. after this tremendous flurry of creativity sylvia took her own life what mm-hmm no no that's not how this works yeah 
Yes. Fucking what? Yeah. What? No. <laughs> this is a very short episode. And there's not been any crime. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. 63. After she was being a badass bitch and writing all yeah. the shit and getting it published. She, she really was on the up and up. And then she just... Mm. Mate, that's horrific. She was age 30. Oh my god. So it's like our age. Oh my god, that's horrific. That's bummed me out. Really? I don't like it. Can you see why I was really shocked when you said you didn't know who Sylvia Plath was? I was like, what yeah. the fuck? I was like, how do you not know about how this? How did I not know How about do you this? not know about this? Because she's the lady that committed suicide. There was a really right I was always like, what? And I didn't know. Holy fucking shit. That's terrible. Would you like me to tell you what goes on? Yes, please. Because there's much more to it than that one sentence. Okay. Like, this is where I, I crack my knuckles and I <laughs> sit you down. Time. Okay. And... <laughs> In 1965, a collection of Sylvia's poems were released, a set that included a poem entitled Daddy and one titled Lazy Lady Lazarus. Uh, and the bell jar was reissued in Great Britain under her own name. Instead so of the bell jar is the novel? Yeah. Right. So the, the book of poems was released, and then, uh, well, a, co- a collection rather, and then the novel was also released. This time not under a pseudonym or anything it like that. It was just, just under her own name. Just her, yeah, which is really cool. And it was published in the United States for the first time in 1971. Now, oh, I was surprised. So it took like, quite a few years mm. for it to get published in the States. Yeah. This oh, happened- so when it was first published, it was only in England or yeah. the UK? Yeah, which I didn't realise. Oh. I thought would've, it would have just gone everywhere. I guess not. It's this is happening without her in a way. Yeah, she didn't get to see all this. Mm -mm. Which is sad because you should be able to see that. Um, It just makes the yeah that bit more of a strain that she wasn't around to see how appreciated her work was. Yeah, because it had people turning heads, being like, "Who wrote this? A lady wrote this? What? Let me meet her." They couldn't. Got something in my eye. It's probably a tear. It's probably sad. <laughs> Another poetry book called *The Collected Poems*. It included mostly unpublished poems oh. that appeared in 1981 and received the 1982 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry, making Sylvia the first to receive this posthumously. So oh. she won a prize for that. Oh, that's really beautiful. And, and she was lovely. the first author to receive a Pulitzer Prize after death. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How lovely is that? That's astounding. In a way. That is really beautiful in a really tragic way. I feel as though, obviously, I've literally, literally just met Sylvia. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel as though the kind of person that she was, she would have seen the beauty in that tragedy. She would. Like, she absolutely would have, in my opinion. We love your opinion, so go all out. I try to have some. But many of Platt's most humorous publications were compiled by Hughes. So... Ted, oh, so the husband compiled everything and then sent it to get published. Who became the executor of her estate. Also, how do you say that executor? Because so I find when you really, say that, so I'm it's just a Pokemon. I'm literally just about to pick on you. Yeah, so go for it. First of all, you said posthumously, which I find <laughs> hilarious because it's posthumously. It just sounds like posture. They're very similar words. <gasps> so that's why you kind of say them similarly. Yeah, I guess but so. also executor of the will, not executor, which is a Pokemon. 
executor. Executor, okay. So her husband was not a psychic grass type Pokemon. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> that would make this story even weirder, and I'm not ready for that. I probably would have heard about it, though. <laughs> Okay, so Hughes was not an executor. He was an executor, Helen. <laughs> of the estate. Oh my Jesus Christ. What? That's right. I, I said it correctly. Yeah, kind but what did you say? Executor. I mean, that's not really a word because the word is executioner, but it's still like when you see someone an executor. <laughs> Can't do this. I can't do really. oh, I'm my. crying. You literally got right. me in tears. Okay. Fucking dumb. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's... Executor. <laughs> I'll let you say that. <laughs> <laughs> of her estate. <laughs> <laughs> However, though, seriously, controversy surrounded this oh, and the estate's okay. management of her work's copyright and his editing practices, especially when he'd revealed that he'd destroyed the last journals written prior to her suicide. What? I, I got chills reading that out. destroyed her journals before she died. Mm-hmm. What a cunt. Absolutely. Before I go into the next segment of the story, I will disclose her way of departing this world. Okay. Just so you can accurately understand how it came to be yeah on february 11th 1963 at roughly 4:15 in the morning sylvia went downstairs and placed towels and tape around the door frames and windows sealing herself into the kitchen oh, i don't like this bar one door before she'd sealed herself in completely sylvia did one more thing that really touches my heart like it just makes me big sad She'd prepared some bread and milk for her two children, placing it near their beds, and had opened their own bedroom windows. Oh my god. Now, there is a poem that she writes only a few days before her death. I was, wait, you still haven't told us the manner of death? Yeah, I'm going to get to it. Oh, I thought you were just like... T- I'm, I was, I'm building I mean, up the gravity. You kind of figure out what's going on, but I just thought you were then changing the subject. Which I also read as a suicide note of its own. Oh, okay, right. I'm going to have Sweet Charlie read it out for us. I'm going to... Okay. You are. So the title is called Edge, and it reads, The woman is perfected. Her dead body wears the smile of accomplishment. The inclusion of a Greek necessity flows in the scrolls of her toga. Her bare feet seem to be saying, We have come so far. It is over. Each dead child coiled, a white serpent. One at each little pitcher of milk, now empty. She has folded them back into her body as petals of a rose close when the garden. Stiffens and odours bleed from the sweet, deep throats of the night flowers. Wow. That's it? Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. So it seems like she's very close to the end there. Yeah. So when did she write this? A few days before death. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was clearly complete. A lot of her works are very, very dark. Yeah, clearly. Like, very dark. And they stick with you. Yeah, that is going to stick with me. I'm going to remember that. So she then goes back to the kitchen and she seals herself in completely. Uh, once she's she's in, she turns to her gas stove, oh, no. turns the gas on and gently gets to her knees and places her head inside. Oh. At 4.30 in the morning, roughly, she dies of carbon monoxide poisoning and she leaves 
A small note on a slip of paper. The note reads, please call Dr. Horder, along with his phone number. She had attached this to the children's pram that was downstairs with tape. Like, quite a bit of tape. So it's clear that this needed to be found. Like, she wanted it to be seen. Yeah. But why leave it on the pram? That's kind of a weird place. I'm not sure. Like, maybe if, if it was me, I'd put it on the back of the kitchen door. Yeah. Not the, not the kitchen back. Like... Yeah. Yeah, I'd leave it on the kitchen door. So yeah. when you came to the door and it was closed, you'd see the note. That's what I would do. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know. Do you think she put it there? I do, yeah. I think she put it there for a, to make sure that her children would be okay. Okay. And just there, because maybe it was just there. You know, it was, oh, I'll attach yeah. it to that. Okay. Type of thing. You've read that. You did really, really well. Thank you. <laughs> I love your reading. It's gorgeous. Thank you. But this doctor I mentioned. Yeah. Dr. John Horder that I just mentioned. He was a general practitioner and was the one who had prescribed a parnate. And M-A-O-I, so medication, is what I gathered from that. Oh, okay. She began taking it regularly and also seeing him every other day to consult and probably have some kind of therapy session with him and simply discussing the effects I had on her. Okay then, so it wasn't like she was just never mind. It wasn't that. saucy. No, I didn't think that. Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's alright. <laughs> so according to an author named Diane Middleton, who had written a very in-depth biography on Sylvie's and Ted's marriage. Oh. So in-depth. Have you read it? Not all of it. Okay, I'll, I'll cut that question out. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded really good if you said yes, but you haven't, so let's carry on. I can't power read like I used to. I've got work. <laughs> okay, come on. I told her husband, Ted Hughes and Sylvia Plath, in marriage. It's found that they were looking to repair their marriage and work on things, but it seemed that only fueled her mood swings and be rather unhelpful. So, that day, a nurse was scheduled to check in on her and the children, as they'd both been, both children, had been kept home as they got the flu. This is also the 50s, 60s type time. Yeah. Where you've got coal to heat the house, wood, not at this digital central heating as well. Like, it's cold. So, Frida and Nicholas, by the way, they are aged three and one. Oh, wow, so they're very young. They were sleeping the, all the way through this. They oh. hadn't heard anything. <clears throat> it would be quiet. It would be very quiet. That's a silent way to That's go. That's a sad thing. Like, you wouldn't be able to hear anything and think, oh, yeah, I should have heard be, something happen. It was all. There would be nothing to hear. No. So the nurse was knocking on the door. Knock, knock. As one does. Thankfully, there was a workman nearby working on some stuff. But she asked for his assistant to get inside the house as she just knew she had that gut feeling something was wrong. Sometimes you can fucking tell when something's Ooh, wrong. You I got chills. Because you just know. You just know. And there's no why or wherefore, but you just know. Yeah. And it's bang on. So they were able to shove the door of the kitchen open. Yeah. And they found Sylvia there as we know her to be. But just a touch on Dr. Horder, as he's believed to say this on the matter of her death. So I assume that the the nurse for the children came over with the workman, mm-hmm. and then did they call Dr. Horder? Yeah. Right, okay. Now he said, quote, she was in the grips of a compulsion, I may need your help with this, attributable, 
Attributable, yeah. Attributable. Yeah. Yeah. To brain chemistry, the biological condition that his psychoactive medication was addressing with gradual efficiency, end quote. So he understood it was a chemical imbalance. Huh. And I was like, thank God. Yeah. And he was prescribing medication. It was like, I'm so glad that he really understands what's going on here. That's interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, by this point, it's not the 50s anymore, is it? True, it's the 60s. 63, you said. Her unfaithful husband had this to say. Was he unfaithful? I gave you a little taste, a little teaser. Because you hadn't mentioned that yet. I'm going to get to it. Oh my god! Quote, the whole catastrophe has been brought on by that accursed book, The Bell Jar, he said. And quote, that required the tranquilizers her doctor had prescribed, and that led directly to her death. End quote. So he's very much dodging common sense of lining up the dots of having your husband whose children you've given birth to, seeing other women behind your back and is claiming to want to rekindle the marriage, marriage but just up until the moment she dies and has himself look so innocent on this. I mention he's unfaithful because it's, it's very odd. So are we going to get into it? We are. Okay. And I'm going to shed some truth on that. Oh? Which in my opinion really adds to the weight of motivation for this. And really weighs on the motive or suspicion of Ted nudging her towards this. Oh, what a piece of fucking shit. Or some other way she may have come to meet her end. So, in letters between the 18th of February 1980, no, 1960, and 4th of February 1963, almost an entire three years later of her book being published. So, while she's still alive yeah um in this last bit oh these letters have only been recently found so they were lost for a long time do you know when Um, they were lost like no i couldn't find it where it was just they've been lost they've only been found okay it's one of those it's one of those things where i'm just like fuck it (laughs) (laughs) it was in these letters and a few others that sylvia had alleged that Ted beat her only two days before she miscarried with the second child, also stating, allegedly, of course, but, oh, no, no. Um, <laughs> whatever. Do I have to allege the whole thing? I mean, is Ted still alive? No. That I. If if this is say if if it's mm-hmm. a quote that Sylvia said, yeah. Ted beat me, and then I had a miscarriage. Yeah. You don't need to say that. That's alleged because she, you're quoting her. Yeah. But if you were to say, oh yeah, um, so if you if you were to say that it happened without it being a quote, then you would have to say allegedly. Oh, like if I just said, oh yeah, he totally did that. Yeah. That would be. Then you'd alleged. have to say, no, he totally allegedly did that. <laughs> yeah, I would. So did he totally allegedly do that? Yeah. Oh, okay, that's real shitty. Is is very shitty. The person she'd been writing to about this was Ruth Tiffany Bonhouse, who we love. Do you remember her? Is she the one that... Is she the nurse that she made friends with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I one that she kept in contact with? Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. so she was, they were still besties and she was still mm-hmm. writing. Yeah. Which I love. Did Ruth have opinions on this fucking Ted? Oh, I bet. I mean, I couldn't... I, well, actually, I did find one thing, but I'm going to oh. get to it in a minute. Why are you making me wait? Because you're going to love it. Well, actually, you're going to hate it. It's all depressing. Oh, it's, no. This is a bit seriously depressing. <laughs> but sadly, I don't have any way of viewing these letters. 
because I love some old-timey letters and I would love to know what all of them said. Yeah, the whole correspondence and just line everything up and get specific truths out and clear people's names where they're a bit dusty and whatnot and a bit murky because it does get murky. Uh, yeah, he'd also try to destroy these as well. How can you try and fail to destroy pieces of paper? You just set them on fire. Yeah, but they weren't his. But he was like trying to get a hold of them. Oh, so he didn't have them. Yeah, these are like Ruth's own letters that Sylvia had written oh, to her. Oh, right. I see. This is what has me so like. So this Ooh. is why we don't have Ruth's replies. Because yes. Because he probably destroyed them because mm-hmm. Sylvia had them. Yeah. Oh. It's so, it's such a turd move. This guy fucking sucks. Do we know how he tried to destroy them or? No. It, he just clearly wanted them gone. Yeah, and it's like, what are you trying to cover up, Ted? Mate, yeah, we see through you. Shady eat my fucking boot. So you're gonna say eat my fucking butt? No, it's too good for him. <laughs> Take note of this as well. Soon after her death, uh, Ted has said his wife's journals from this time were lost, quote unquote, lost, including the last volume, which he said that he did destroy to protect the children, Frida and Nicholas. Personally, it's... Protect them from what? <laughs> now, personally, it seems he did this to protect himself and any shred of his reputation or destroy anything that seemed to shed light on yeah, his own that actions. that sounds awfully as though that was a protective measure against Ted. Yeah. It was a literal paper, paper trail that he was disposing of. Yeah, holy shit, that's paper trail. However, Ooh. however, thanks to the passion and some hardcore research, the letters he wasn't able to get his hands on were archived by a feminist scholar. Yes! How cool is that? We love a feminist scholar! We can thank Harriet Rosenstein for that. Fuck yes, thank you Harriet Rosenstein. Seven fuck years fuck yes. after Sylvia's death, she thankfully, she had these as research for an at the time incomplete biography. Ah! I was like a massive breath of relief. That's I was really cool. This. It sounds an incredible read of its own because there's medical records, correspondences between Sylvia and some of her friends. It would be an amazing read. Because I, now this is going off a bit here, but I love seeing handwriting that's come from people I'll never be able to meet just because they're so, like, from a different time. Yeah. Like, really far away in the past. But you've written on that same piece of paper that I can see. Yeah. And the way that's worded and structured is completely different to how I'd say it now. But you've put it there with, with, with pen and ink. I think that's cool. why I like doing pen paling. Yeah. With people, obviously, that are still here because you can pen pal them. Yeah. But then because, like, someone's written something on a letter and then put it in a post box and it's gone off. <laughs> and you can be anywhere in the world and you will get that same piece of paper that someone else has written on. And that ink that forms letters is that person's own handwriting, which is totally unique to them. Yeah. And they literally put it there for you. And I find that really incredible. And that's why I write letters. And I just thought I'd mention it. <laughs> no, no, it's good to mention that. Because yeah. people can probably relate. I think so. Oh, we should set up a PO box that people can write in. Well, I was actually thinking of... I don't know, this is not the time. Without me? <laughs> I do a lot of thinking without you. So I was thinking if we ever do like a Patreon thing, one of the tiers could have like a letter from me. Yeah. Where I can like, like we can send, instead that. of just doing like digital content, because a yeah. lot of people like physical things. Mm-hmm. So we could have like digital things with like special episodes or whatever, but then yeah. one of the tiers could have like that stuff plus like stamps. 
Plus, like, you just, know, your, like, a little... Your backstab. Well, yeah, I'd decorate it all nice and Yeah. Shit, you know? I'd put all, like, mysterious, creepy, crammy stuff on. So cool. I'd make it look old-timey, but you could yeah. get, like, a, like, a letter or a postcard. We could do, like, postcard designs and then send them out, but... Yeah. Right on them. I don't know. I just... I love that. I've just been That'd thinking be cool. of things. And you, you tell me to not get too far. Ahead. Sure, I'm like, look, who I are just, first sponsor? Who will it be? Look, I've just been. And you're trying to send out packages to people. <laughs> no, not like that. Jesus, <laughs> you shut up. Anyway, carry on. Tell me the story. <clears throat> so this was like a bombshell of a secret that popped out that this lady had had them for so long. Yeah, because what's this now? Like seven years. Seven years. Yeah. And it was amazing, secret, inviolable information. Inviolable. Invaluable. <laughs> my, my lip got stuck on my teeth. <laughs> this happens a lot. This was discovered that this lady had had them. I thought you were going to say this was disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> when an antiquarian bookseller had put them up for sale at $875,000. What? So we only know about... $875,000 in one yeah, year? But 1980. What? I wonder what that is worth now. Oh, I dare to think with inflation and stuff. That's what I mean. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna have Means. a quick, I'm gonna have a quick peek. Ooh. What? Ooh. Oh, Ooh. this is juicy. Guess. Juicy. Uh, two point five million. No, three point one million. Ooh. That would be worth three million one hundred three thousand eight hundred seventy-one dollars and thirty-six cents, oh. with a, an inflation rate of 254.7 percent that's that's a lot of inflation (laughs) that's a lot of inflation that's bonkers that's absolutely bonkers i just read a little footnote of mine and as i mentioned earlier ruth had been treating sylvia with electroshock therapy but they'd maintained contact quite regularly which is impressive as sylvia was constantly changing her address I go on to say oh god what if this is why ted was moving so much ah because yeah which oh, had me yeah, fall down another hole of my own. Moving, what if they were uprooting the family so much because he didn't want her having friends? Yeah. Oh. Which sucked for him because it wasn't working. Yeah. Oh, no. It is so sad. The two of them are quite close, and when you're close to someone, that being Sylvia and Ruth, you confide in them, you tell them things, and it gets a bit more personal. And that's what happened here. Sylvia disclosed in a letter dated September 22nd, 1962. She was, uh, she says she'd been beaten to the point of miscarrying her, her third child. Which is scary. That's terrifying. Imagine you can't call anyone, you can't FaceTime them, you've got to write. Put a Help. stamp on it, go Give to the this. post office and hope they get it. I mean, in 62, they had phones and cars. The 60s wasn't like the 1800s. No, I mean, now it doesn't feel safe. <laughs> I know it's not safe now, but I mean, you yeah. said, like, imagine back then, you couldn't, like, you couldn't FaceTime. Yeah. But she could still, like, call an ambulance in the 60s. From a landline. Yeah, but you have that. Yeah, and she wrote. I don't think she was suffering a miscarriage and wrote for help. I <laughs> 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 Oh my god, where is my head gone? No, I know that. (laughs) (laughs) I need to not laugh because of this next bit. It's like just as serious. Another letter in the series dated 21st of October 1962. So the same year. Okay. Around the same time of year. Uh This is again sent to Ruth. Um, Sylvia tells her that Ted had directly told her quite firmly to her face that he wished she was dead. It was very on the nose. This is terrible. 
And then how many months later is it that she commits suicide? I want to say four. So she commits suicide in April the following year. Yeah. If this is the end of December. Yeah. Oh, thank goodness, this is terrible. Now then. I'd just like to fill you in about this adultery that I've mentioned Ted had yeah, going on. Yeah, what is going on with this? Because you've mentioned that he was a cheating piece of shit, but we don't know what he did. And how we know it to be undisputed. It is nothing alleged about it. It all happened. We can say that. You may remember, uh, maybe not from the first episode, that they come to rent out the London apartment at Shacklockswear in Primrose Hill. Yes. Yep. Um, at this point, Sylvia and Ted are living in the area of Devon, near the River Severn. It's lovely, rustic, remote, all that. The couple who they rented this home to was Asher and David Wevel, but there was something about Asher, probably a bit of everything that had a hook on Ted, as he even wrote poetry about her, which I'm going to have you read out. Oh, you're getting me back for all the times I've made you read out gross shit. I am. Oh, no. Ba-ba-da-ba. Is this why you said it's going to remind me of gross Steve? Yep. Uh, I hate this. <laughs> I understand I this. Yeah, this depressed me and depressed you me. You are too. really making up for those things I made you read about Gross Steve. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. We didn't find her. She found us. She sniffed us out. She sat there, slightly filthy with erotic mystery. I saw the dreamer in her, had fallen in love with me, and she did not know it. That moment, the dreamer in me fell in love with her and I knew it. That's it. It still makes me grimace like reading it, that I was as like, you I fucking read it, turd. I could feel yeah. my upper lip like just, just recoiling. Yeah. Not wanting to read it anymore. Ugh, he he made profit off that poem. What? And everything he writes so much about about Sylvia and and about uh this lady and other things and it's like you shouldn't be allowed to do that. That's disgusting. Because he writes about Sylvia after she's passed away. And it's it grates me. It really annoys me. It's 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 a whole other conversation that so we So he's like, Oh, my wife is a famous tragic figure in literature, so I'm going to write poetry about her because I love her, but also I'll make some money off it. Yeah. That's that's a very roundabout way of saying yeah. That's oh, it. I hate him. Now then, I think Sylvia had noticed their chemistry a bit, but I don't know how much effort they were making to hide it. Right, okay. Uh, but she's still not okay with it if she doesn't know, and it's still a shitty thing to do. Yeah. What makes things worse, though, is that at the time of Sylvia's death, Asher had fallen pregnant with a child that is alleged to be Ted's. Oh! And she'd um, ended up getting an abortion soon learning uh, of Sylvia's passing. Oh, wow. So, pretty quick. Now, yeah. when Sylvia passed away, how do you think Ted cooked? He... Did he run off with this woman that he's been seeing? Do you think he was upset? No, I don't. Do you think he was grieving? No, not really. Do you think he was too enthralled in this rich affair to look anywhere close? Yeah, I think he was getting all canoodly with this woman Because <laughs> he had enough time... And mine to lock away and dispose of whole sets of probably incriminating letters. Yeah, of course, he's not going to be like doing the right thing. He wouldn't thing. have been like, yeah, I'm just going to keep all this stuff that makes me look like a douche. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he and Asher actually moved in together at the house in Devon. He was also having Asher take care of his two children, Frida and Nicholas, as well as living with them. They were now being raised by this lady who they didn't know and their mother was gone. 
They're going through so much at once, I can't begin to imagine what that would do to your mind. Yeah, that would be horrific. And Especially as well, like a one-year-old probably isn't really mm. going to know that much, but a three-year-old is going to notice if their mum isn't around. At this time, Nicholas is aged one and Frida is three, so they were babies. For a second, you said Absolute babies. You said Nicholas, at this time, Nicholas is aged one. Yeah. I forgot the names, and I thought you were going to talk about like the husband. Okay, now I'm seeing she. It's uh, Asha. So Asha's mentioned this many times to her friends throughout time, like over the months, that she was haunted day by day by Sylvie's memory. She was having to use her household furnishings, utilities and belongings as if they were her own on a day-to-day basis, which would feel weird as hell. That would feel really weird. Yeah, that would feel pretty <coughs> strange. Yeah. It would be really uncomfortable to then be touching and living in the same surrounding that your partner's wife lived in and then also died in the same kitchen you're having to use now and now oh you're in that same God, role it's scary that it gives me the heebie just thinking yeah, about it like standing in that kitchen cooking and being like she was she she lay right there that is haunting yeah that really is and all of this moved quickly it was like months a couple of months <laughs> bam, bam 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 all these things but so the neighbors gossiped Oh, it will have been you a gossipy town. Gossip. I don't have notes of said Scandal. gossip. Torrid affairs. Outrage. However, it's stated in a biography of Asher titled Lover of Unreason, which is a cool title and it's got me wanting to read the book. Lover of Unreason. And yeah. that's a biography. About Asher Webel. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. By authors named Korag and Negev. So I'm guessing they're somewhat European. Because she is uh, a bit European. There was there was a whole tangent I could have gone on, but I, I didn't. Okay. I've cut it out, but it's so interesting. Ooh. There is so much. There is so much. There's so much. It's silly. Okay. In the two authors in this, they do maintain that she only used items in the house for practicality's sake, as there's been a lot of criticism. Being like, oh, why so didn't she get new things? Why was she there yeah, touching it? And she only used Sylvia's things because that's yeah. where she lived and... She's that now been thrown into looking after a grown man and two children. So well, she was she just get thrown, she chose to like move out. He was a bit, bit toxic. Well, clearly. And I'm gonna get to how it affected her as well. Oh no. So yeah, she didn't buy a whole new set of cutlery because that's just the way it was. And that's that. That's that. Yeah. People are really mean to her online. Oh, no. I'm kind of like back off. Well, I mean, she. Because they know what happens, so they shouldn't. Yeah, I guess I don't know what happens, but she made this choice for herself. Like, she kind of did. She did. That's true. The calendar takes over to March the 3rd, 1965. Okay. Okay, so a bit of a bright time. Asha gave birth to Alexandra Tatiana Elise. That's a gorgeous name. That is a beautiful name. I particularly like the use of Tatiana. Oh, I know. You don't hear that very often. I really enjoy that. Shakespearean. Yeah, that's lovely. They nicknamed her Shara. So is she Ted's baby? Uh, yes. I hate that. For Alexandra? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So they nicknamed the baby Shara. So instead of me saying all three names, I can just say Shara. Perfect. Which is great. That makes it a lot easier. It does. Now this happens all while being still married to David Wevel. I don't know how this works back in the day, but I'm not even sure if David knew what was going on as she... She allegedly may have written to Les that she was away for work. Or that someone that she was yeah, working like for, two like... two years. Yeah, I know. It's, however, at this point, none of her friends are talking to her anymore. 
Her oh, family man. also don't contact her. Like, they seem to have completely cut her off. You'd feel really isolated. Yeah, but then, yeah. She's full-time cooped up in this house. Like, she doesn't actually have a job. She's housewifing full-time now. Yeah. You know, with this dead lady's belongings that who was married to the guy that you've been seeing. You'd feel like you've made a massive mistake with fate. Yeah, it's a bad deal, and you're like, like, I want to get out. But then you're also like, I need to help these children that are stuck here. I've got to raise them. I'd feel really trapped. Like, morally. Like, I can't leave them just with him, but then I can't take them because they're not really mine. Yeah, it's a weird situation to be in. I mean, do you have any, like, did she, was she attached to the children? Did she get close to some of these children? Mm, Not particularly. There was no mentioned of any bad encounters though or any arguments or massive disputes okay I, I would say they were quite close are you basing that on anything or literally nothing one thing but I'll we'll get to it okay. in a minute <laughs> <clears throat> guess what Ted's doing he's either moving <laughs> or he's having another affair you guessed it. Is it both? Ted was at it once again. Oh no. He's bed hopping. No, he's not. Put it away, Ted. Put it away. You Ted. have responsibilities to attend to. Oh. Put it away. He began affairs with a lady named Brenda Hedden, who is also a married woman. Oh for goodness. So sake, she's got Brenda. marriage of her own that she's screwing okay, over. Brenda. Get out of here. And that was for a short period. And then he swiftly moved on to a lovely lady. Our next interesting person. Yeah. It's called Carol Orchard, or Orchard, depending on how you prefer to say it. I'd say Orchard. Yeah, me too, Orchard. Let's say Orchard. Yeah. And she was a nurse 20 years younger than him, that he'd go on to marry in 1970. So yes, Ted and Asher do potways, and I would like to get into that because it's very important to me that this gets some coverage. Asher's and Ted's relationship was rapidly snowballing into a toxic one, this is shown yet by another collection of letters that were from Ted to a few people. And they were held by Emory University. I don't know how these places are obtaining these letters, but hey, that's that. Well, it'll be the recipients, of the, the recipients' families, mm. and then donating them to these museums and institutions. Yeah. I always imagine it's like under the carpet exchanging things. Under the carpet? Under the rug? Under the table. Under the... The, no, the expression is under the table. <laughs> Say you sat opposite someone and you want to sneak something across to oh, them. Oh yeah. You put it under the table and then they. Oh yeah, they. You don't put it under the carpet. <laughs> That's where it gets stuck. I'm definitely leaving that in the episode. <laughs> That's absolutely. I didn't even write that point in thinking it was right. I think you got it mixed up with when you sweep something <laughs> under the rug. Yeah, I was um, thinking yeah, different. Things. But that's a different thing. Oh, I feel so silly. <laughs> so anyway, what did these letters? Something that was also a massive weight on her mind was that Ted would often show reluctance to marry her, be it through having affairs or simply not wanting to. Instead, he was more keen on treating her as if she's, quote, a housekeeper. And this is shown by uh, some of the letters that he'd written to people as he referred to her that way. He referred to her as a housekeeper? Yep, to his own pals. He was like, she's my housekeeper. What a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, so he's like, lured her in, look after my kids, and then he's just going around fucking whoever. What I hate this guy. Shit. This guy's so. But for some reason, people are like, oh, I love his work. 
Oh, he said, like, dark and mysterious. Oh. I'm sorry. And it's I like, how can you poem, romanticize and that? And it sucked. Yeah, it's That's shit. That's like good. I may not have mentioned this before, but they've now moved again oh. in area in London called Three Oakover Manor, Clapham Common. And Why is he moving so much? Because he's a fucking weirdo. Like, I, I genuinely don't <laughs> understand it. It's a waste of money and time and resources. <laughs> I don't get it. So Maybe it's because if, like, he slept with so many people and then keeps moving around, so he's not recognized as a cheater. Maybe that's maybe. it. That's only just occurred to me now. If you move to a new town, hi, I'm Ted. Nice to meet you and your wife. And then you can just you just like booksmark them for later. Did you say booksmark? I did. <laughs> and I was like, this <laughs> is such an ad hoc thought. Like, yeah. Whoops. Maybe. I mean, I don't think like London is like you know, one of those little villages where there's like Oh three no, definitely not. So I don't think he was moving in and out of London because he might be recognised because it's huge. Yeah. I mean, we'll never know. We'll never know. So he moved back to London. Yeah. With did he say Asher with him? Uh yes. Okay. Hold your butt. Okay. Brace yourself. In March nineteen sixty nine, this is at this home now, um, Asher puts down a mattress on the in the kitchen on the floor. No, she fucking doesn't. Don't you dare tell she me. She also dissolves no. sleeping pills into no. a glass of water. No, she fucking didn't. And feeds it to her daughter, who is also what? lying on the makeshift bed. She closes the door. Oh, no. And turns on the gas stove. No. Getting oh, onto the bed with the her fuck? daughter. Yeah. Did you just feed me handstroke me? And they lie together. Or I fucking soon told you passing about away. Schneider. And, you, yeah. and I fucking sprung that on you at the end. Did you just... Oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. I deserve this. Right, okay, so that's the year 1969, right? Right? That's only seven years after Sylvia. In 1970, Ted marries Carol Orchard. This guy I doesn't give a fuck. Hate he does not him. care. He's he's oh just lost God. a child. And he's like, yeah, I'll marry someone else, it's fine. So two of his wives have committed suicide mm-hmm. in identical ways. Yeah. One of them took a child with her. Yeah. And this guy's just marrying on. Like, His side everything's piece. fine. Yeah. What the fuck? This is what caught my eye on online. I was like, hold on, what he had another wife that did this? What the fuck? So, yeah, that's some suspicious shit. It's awful. Again, this is another scenario mm-hmm. where it's like, did he do it or did he just encourage it? Exactly. Oh. <sighs> I I felt so sick reading that out. Yeah, and oh, I'm, that's horrible. I'm sorry. But we get to say goodbye, adios, etc. to Ted yeah. in 1998. He's 68 years old. Long. Yeah, but not too old. Yeah. <laughs> his death is listed as, sadly, sophisticatedly, microcard- myocardial infarction, which I always read as fart. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. But that's a heart attack, so it's nice and quick. Yippee skippy. Eat my boot, Ted. I don't care about you. <laughs> As for their children, there being Sylvia's and Ted's, Frida's still among us, which is lovely. I do hope she's doing well. She's been through a lot in a short amount of time. He's really turbulent from a seriously young age and onwards, so she's seen a lot. Yeah. You know, this lady that was bringing her up, being her mother, passed away. The lady that took on that role and carried on for a decent amount of time was also gone. And then saw her dad marry someone else. 
that's upsetting and very unstable. Yeah, that's horrific. She's seen two mother figures pass away mm-hmm. in the same way. Yeah. And then her dad's just marrying left and right. Yeah. I sadly can't see the scene for Nicholas. Okay. He passed away March 16th in 2009, aged 47 by hanging himself. Oh. It's briefly noted that it's 46 years after his mother committed suicide and it's almost 40 years to the day after his stepmother had also taken her own life. Ooh. His sister Frida was the one to announce his passing that had taken on a weekend. I have quote from an article here from a newspaper, so that's, that's something. Quote, It is with profound sorrow that I must announce the death of my brother Nicholas Hughes, who had died by his own hand on Monday 16th of March 2009 at his home in Alaska. End quote. That she said in a statement to the Times of London. Um, she also said, quote, he had been battling depression for some time, end quote. Would you like to know some things that he did do while he was alive, to cheer you up a bit? Yeah, okay. He was living in Alaska and was a fisheries biologist. So like his grandfather on his mother's side, Otto, he was also a biologist and into wildlife. Oh, yeah. that's pretty amazing. And he enjoyed trekking and hiking across Alaska on field studies and research of his own. Which is really really cool. cool. That is really cool. I do take delight that in his passion, his hobby, it was found in the outdoors and at the root of nature because it's so wonderful. Just like what Sylvia had had when she was young. And as a child, he hadn't known about his mother's suicide, only learning of it as an adult. So in his school years, he'd gone to schools and academies of education with privacy and out of the public eye. Oh, that's good. He was thankfully away from all that, yeah. you know, all that stuff that the press do in paparazzi. Ugh. You know when they follow kids and they're like, oh, this happened to this child and it's got the full life yeah. and taking it's pictures of them at midnight. Yeah. None of that. It was in Alaska he earned a doctorate from the University of Alaska Fisheries after studying at the University of Oxford. Ooh, so he's a hell of a smart Oxford cookie. Grad. Yeah. That's he got himself incredible. a bachelor's degree in science in 1984. How cool is that? He was an assistant professor at the Alaska uh, School of Fisheries and Ocean Sciences. That's a cool place to teach. It took me a whole breath to read that out. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I teach there. It's really cool. He carried out research in Alaska and New Zealand. Wow. How cool is that? He'd resigned in 2006, but continued with the research. It's really sad, you know, like he... Probably only maybe remembers one mother, but having two that passed so away did, like that. So yeah, so did he think that Asha was his mother? I'm not sure. I couldn't find anything about that. Yeah, that must have been really turbulent when he found out mm-hmm. what happened. Yeah, that's pretty horrific. How would you even deal with that? Like right now, my brain's come to a stop trying to comprehend it. Yeah, how would you process that? I, I can't. This is why I'm also glad Frida's still alive. Yeah. Because it can just take um... people. It's scary. There is one more excerpt from Sylvia's poem, Lady Lazarus, I'd like you to read. Ooh, okay. Because it's amazing. Hit me. I'll hit you with these words. <laughs> <laughs> Gently. <laughs> Wee! Thank you. Right, I'm going to... Right, so this is an excerpt from Lady Lazarus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dying is an art, like everything else. I do it exceptionally well. I do it so it feels like hell. I do it so it feels real. I guess you could say I have a call. That's it. That's that's everything I got, Charlie, for oh, today. Oh, wow. 
got my sauces to go in the sauce. Sauces. Um, so in section. terms of crime, yeah, this is Ted Hughes was a crime. Ted, yeah, like in my eyes, he contributed. Yeah, and I, mean, I don't know if there's anything you can send someone for, but well, I mean, you can. That there, there is. Oh, oh there's, there's a case that's been in the media quite a lot recently mm. of, I, I can't remember the names of the people involved because it's not something that I've looked into in great detail, but I have seen it on the news mm. where a woman convinced her boyfriend to kill himself. Oh, I've heard things about over text. Like that. Yeah, yeah it, like they weren't very, like they were quite like young adults, I think, mm. and he was obviously unwell with depression and she was egging him on to do it. Mom. To kill himself, yeah. he did. Ooh, yeah. And she is now being put through the judicial system to get sent to prison Shit. for basically, like, I don't know how they're classifying it. If it's like encouraging murder, it? yeah. Like, I, I don't know murder. what they're doing with it because mm, I've not, yeah. I've not looked into it that much. I've just seen it. So yeah, yeah. If you convince somebody to commit suicide, it is a crime. Mm. I don't know whether like. Obviously, domestic abuse is a crime. Yeah. But in, like, the 50s and 60s, treating a woman badly enough for her to commit suicide probably wouldn't have been an actual crime. Mm. But, I mean... Now yeah, he'd get in trouble for that. There's potential crime? Mm-hmm. Depending on... Because, obviously, I imagine there's some people that theorise that... Are there, is, is, is there groups of people that think that the women were murdered? There are there are like loose theories, yeah. So theories are so so some people think that yeah, but Ted has like to do with he's it, definitely a he's serial definitely... cheater and he's like compulsive with all this stuff. Yeah, yeah he sounds like a terrible human being. Yeah, I had no idea that. Well, yeah, yeah, that it's... was a that was a ride. It was one heck of a story. Oof, that was a story. Well, do you want to do the sign off or shall I do it? Take it away. Me? Yeah. Okay, so. Thank you for listening to another episode of Creeps and Crime Storytime. Yes. Thanks was... for listening. Um, that was <laughs> a lot and I just yeah, I'm I'm not, I'm still not used to being the listener and it's so weird just absorbing all this information and having mm. to process it in front of a mic. <laughs> like that's it's very weird and difficult and I'm still in a bit of shock. <laughs> Because I did not see any of that stuff coming. I threw a lot at you, to be completely fair. Yeah, you did. Like, it was like, <laughs> whoop, both hands. Scored a field goal. You scored a... F- yeah. That ball hit me right in the face. Got you in the fourth quarter. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, so... have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye.